This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. There we go. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This, this little light, not yet, mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Yeah. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Thank you for your word. Change us not by some new ideas, but by the power of your spirit at work in our lives. We love you. Amen. I, uh, sorry, I gotta figure out how to get this. There we go. Uh, I grew up in Spokane. My parents are still there. And uh, so I visit frequently. And I've done this drive to and from Spokane enough now that I kind of have a routine. I have my, my things that I do on the trip, such as um, eating at Arby's in Ellensburg on Canyon Road. <laughs> do I ever eat Arby's here in Seattle? No. I don't even know where the closest Arby's would be. I know there was one up on Northgate, but it's not there anymore. I have no idea. But I can tell you exactly where the one in Ellensburg on the Canyon Road exit is, and I eat there going and coming every time. The other thing that I do, uh, often when we're leaving Spokane, we'll have breakfast, kind of pack up after breakfast and head off mid-morning, and the necessary thing is to have a cup of coffee for that first stretch of the trip. And Spokane is littered with drive through coffee stands, little tiny sheds that serve coffee. And uh, so I, I don't have a particular one that I go to, but I'll just, whatever one's closest on the way to the freeway. And one time I was, we were, we were driving, swung through one, got a latte, which felt like kind of a splurge. Normally would go for drip, got a latte. Uh, set it in the cup holder, and I was like, I, it's going to be that satisfying first sip once I'm on the freeway. Pulled onto the freeway, got up to speed, heading west, heading back home, and took a sip. And there was no coffee in my coffee. 
It was they had completely forgotten any espresso. It was just expensive steamed milk. <laughs> and uh, it was so disappointing. My coffee was a lie. <laughs> um, a latte without coffee makes as much sense as salt without flavor. Right? It's nonsense. It's nothing. It's like putting a light under a cover. It doesn't make any sense. It's not, I mean, why even have the light to begin with? Why even have a latte without coffee? doesn't make any sense. Well, this is a, um, a familiar passage, obviously, and uh, one that has spawned many songs, which thank you for participating in that. That helped. Uh, if you leave here singing that song as you go back home, as you wake up tomorrow, if you sing that song as you're heading off to work, I think, I think we will have accomplished something. I do want to begin, though, with the, the second half of the passage where Jesus is talking about how he's come not to abolish the law, but to actually fulfill it, to complete it, to bring it to fruition and fulfillment. Because as much as Jesus' coming was a momentous, a momentous occasion, the inbreaking of heaven on earth, um, there's a sense in which it was simply consistent with what God had always been doing. That from the beginning of time, God has always been pursuing his people in love. Um, and that when Jesus comes, he puts flesh and bone on that pursuit on that love, uh, allows us to see it, uh, demonstrates it in a way uh, that had not been experienced prior to that. But um, nonetheless, as we read through the whole Old Testament, from creation through the prophets and the Psalms, we see this consistent heartbeat of God pursuing his lost people. And that Jesus coming is consistent with God's heartbeat and God's pursuit of his lost people. So Jesus fulfills and completes all that had come before, the law and the prophets, right? Um, so Jesus, Jesus aligns himself with this great rescue mission of God. Uh, and then he also is telling us that we, who are followers of Jesus, followers of him, are also brought into this great rescue mission of God. And salt and light is how this happens. Us being salt and light, this is sort of the, the how to uh, our part in participating in, in God's pursuit of his people. When we read Matthew, we, we've talked a little bit about this. Um, we have to remember that Matthew is, is, is writing with the end in mind, right? He's not taking notes as everything's happened. Everything's already happened. Jesus has died, been raised from the dead, and has given to his disciples what we call the Great Commission, right? This is where Matthew's gospel ends with this powerful, uh, these, these two promises that uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He has all power. He's in charge. Um, and that he's with, he will, we, excuse me, he will be with his disciples always until the end of the age. So it's, it's kind of in the midst of that power and that presence that he then gives them the commission to go and make disciples, to do the very thing that, that he did at the beginning of his ministry, calling these people to himself, saying, I'm going to make you fishers of people. And then at the end, that's then the continued mission for his followers. Still true for us today. So Matthew is writing this with, he, he knows where this is going, right? And here in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we have this, this beautiful metaphor of salt and light. 
that Jesus describes his followers, this crowd that's gathered around him. He says, you are these things. And this is, in fact, how you go about making disciples. This is how you go about bringing glory to God. It's by being salt and light in the world. There are, there are some assumptions made uh, as we hear this, this imagery of salt and light. Uh, and the first one that's important to name is that the world needs salt and light. If the world didn't need the salt and light that Jesus' followers bring, um, then our, our salt and light would be unnecessary, right? It would be superfluous. Um, maybe at best it would be mildly interesting to the world, but not necessary. And I think that we are, it's a challenge, can be a challenge this day and age to, to think of the world as the world. And I'm talking about our neighbors. I'm talking about the, the world can be this sort of vague thing, but maybe we can think of our neighbors. Um, as, it can be a challenge to think of our neighbors as lacking and needing anything because uh, it, it can sound arrogant, right? It can sound like, who are we to say that they n- need something? Um, you be you is the, that's the ethic of our day, right? You, you do you, you be you. Uh, how, how could I ever say that, that you need something that I have? But I think it's also very difficult to look at the world honestly and not see a hurting and broken world and not see the deep twisting effects of God's good creation as sin has impacted every element of creation. And we don't come... Uh, to simply point out that the world is broken. That's not, that's not the point of all this, but that is an assumption, um, that there is a great need that we and everyone else has, the need for Jesus, the need for a Savior, the need to be saved. And so we don't come as the Savior. We don't come as the ones who are doing the saving. We just come as the salt and the light to expose what's really true, to bring flavor, to, to resist decay. That's some of what the salt does, right? It has a preservative effect. We come with humility, knowing that we are not the saviors, but we, by the way we live our lives, by the good deeds that we do, shining before other people, we can point to the savior. So the first assumption is that the world genuinely is desperately in need of the salt and the light Christ puts in us and that we bring to the world. The second assumption is that those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are following Christ, we are already salt and light. Uh, We've been talking about this as we've uh, been walking through the first parts of this Sermon on the Mount, that there's a lot of this that maybe is, maybe growing up we heard it as, oh, you need to become like this. You need to be more um, poor in spirit. You need to grow in that way. Um, You need to be more salty. You need to be more light. And what Jesus says is that you are this. You already are salt and light. The Christian life is is more about becoming who you are rather than adding on to the things that you're not. Right? Who are we? Right? We are those, um, well, we're salt, (laughs) the salt of the earth. We're the, the light of the world. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is who we are. So the work 
of our lives is, is remembering who Christ has made us. And then living a life of consistency with that. Living a, a, a life that's integral, that, that is whole. That is, that is the growth of our Christian life. To become who Christ has already made us to be. I uh, had a conversation this week uh, where, well, I'll just say with Hank. Hank and I had lunch, and it was really great. Uh, and Hank asked a great question. And the, the question was, sorry, I hope this is okay. We didn't talk about it. <laughs> the question Hank asked was, how do you start a conversation with coworkers who don't share your beliefs? How do you, how do you start a conversation about the things that you hold most dear that are, that, are, that are true, the things that you believe, with someone who doesn't? And I think there's all kinds of ways that we can grow in our ability to articulate our faith. I think that's a, again, that's kind of a lifelong skill uh, for Christians is how do, we, how do we talk about the things that are most true, the, the beliefs that we hold most dear. But I think the beginning point uh, actually doesn't have to do with talking at all. I think the beginning point is simply living whole, consistent lives in view of the people in our lives. I think this is the way in which we actually are living as we already are, salt and light. We, we are the kind of people who um, are kind to our coworkers, who care about them uh, as people, not just as those who can produce products or whatever it is, however it is that we're working together. Right? We demonstrate this. We are salt and light by how we answer our emails. Or as Jeff said, by paying attention to how we're driving behind the car that's in front of us that's going too slow. That was a call to confession to me this morning. Thank you. Uh, these, these are these good deeds that, that shine out for all to see. And all of this leads to God being glorified. There is a danger, though, for us that Jesus talks about. And this danger is this being basically being nonsense, being unsalty salt. Uh, this is one of those fun Greek words that uh, it doesn't actually say unsalty. Uh, the Greek word there is, is uh, I got to get it right here, moronos. And it's where we get the word moron, <laughs> right? It's, a, it's foolish. It's like it doesn't even make sense. It's incomprehensible, idiotic. To be salt that isn't salty, salt that doesn't add flavor. That, it doesn't make sense. To be Christians that are not engaged in the world in such a way that people are seeing Christ in us, is, it doesn't make any sense. This is moronic. <laughs> so... Um, nonetheless, though, it is a danger for us. And, and I, I was reflecting a little bit on... Um, our, our, we just had our first elder retreat with our, our new elders, and um, I'm profoundly grateful for the people that God has called for that you all have affirmed are, uh, are to lead us in this season. And we were talking about our, um, our mission and vision statement, which is really, it's, it's not very radical, uh, but the way that we've articulated it is um, we want to be a church that is rooted in Christ for the flourishing of our neighbors, Feel like the, that's it's our way of articulating love God, love people, to be rooted in Christ for the flourishing of our neighbors, and the the priority this this first step of being rooted in Christ 
I think, is what helps us maintain our flavor, <laughs> helps us be, uh, avoid being unsalty salt. But the danger is that, uh, and the reality for all of us, is that we are constantly being rooted in other things. We are constantly being discipled into any, anything and everything that isn't Jesus. Um, I mean, I think of uh, the things that uh, Alistair and others are, are, are being shaped in their schools, uh, sometimes in wonderful ways, other times uh, ways that we, th- I think, have to counter uh, as, as Christian parents. Um, think of the, the ways our, our news feeds in whatever, you know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, are, are sh- they're shaping us. They are forming us. And I think that one of the ways that we are being formed in this culture is we're being formed into people who are, are known by what we are against. And that, you I mean, that could be, you know, politically on the left, politically on the right. That could be in whatever we believe uh, by being primarily known for what we don't believe, what we're opposed to. And I think that that, I think that if you, I mean, if you read the news, that's, that's how people talk. It's, it's primarily, uh, Identity by what I am opposed to, by what I am against. That's how you know who I am. But that's not the life of salt and light. And I think as we remain rooted in Christ through, uh, through studying the scriptures, re- just reading the stories of scriptures, through prayer, carving out time in our lives to simply speak and listen to God who is still speaking to us today. I think we let the salt and the light uh, become more, uh, that becomes more of our identity as opposed to what we are opposed to. I, that was very awkwardly worded, and thankfully I have a really great quote here that I want to put up that says it much more beautifully. Madeline Langle writes this. This really, this is, this is it. We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. How good is that? You can just leave that up there for a while, Allie. Be who you already are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The world is desperate for the salt and the light, the flavor, the anti-decaying agents that we can be in the world, for the light that reveals what's really true, what's really real. But we are not salt and light in a, in a very general sense. We are salt and light in very particular places. Salt impacts whatever it's supposed to impact by being mixed in with it. Salt next to a dish is useless. It's unsalty salt, right? It's moronic. Salt that is mixed in with the dish actually then has impact. Light that's hidden, silly. Light that's exposed, light that can shine for all to see. That makes sense. So uh, each one of us is this in the particular places where we exist during the week. Uh, the church most fully lives into this calling to be salt and light, to be who we are. Um, not so much when we gather on Sunday mornings, as important as this is, as central and crucial as this gathering is. But we live into our calling as salt and light 
in the places where we scatter throughout the week. That's when we're mixed in to the places where our salt and light can have impact. So we did this exercise a few years ago where I had a map like this up on an easel out in the lobby, and I said uh, something. I think the question was, where is the church? And then I had people put pins uh, where they lived, worked, and played. And it was just this beautiful reminder of th- these are the places where we scatter. At the end of our service sometimes, there you might see an image of a, it looks like a map with maybe some kind of heartbeat lines on it. And that's a, a, a painting that Matt Whitney did of uh, a handful of folks in sanctuary, their, their journey to and from church. Uh, and it, it kind of looks like this heartbeat, and it's, it's the sense of, of gathering. Sorry, let me get my hand motions right. Gathering and scattering as this rhythm of life. And it's when we're scattered, that's where we are, salt and light. So I loved that exercise. It's been a few years now. Some of you weren't around when we did it. Um, and I have, I have some stickers. I have some star stickers. And so what we're going to do, uh, this will be, I was trying to think of the logistics of this in this tight space. I think what we're going to do is when we serve communion, Alex, you can be over here. I think I'm going to be in the back over here. And either before or after you come and take communion, come up and grab, put as many stars, whatever color you want, but think of all the places where you are scattered throughout the week. Obviously, the place where you live, uh, the place where you work, if there's kind of a nine-to-five place where you spend time. If there's a coffee shop that you frequent, a place where you are impacting and mixing with, with folks that uh, you see regularly, um, put a star there, right? You go to a gym once a week. You probably see some of the same people. Put a star there where you go to school. Any place where the reality of your saltiness and your lightness, brightness, impacts the world, um, put a star there. And I think this will be for us, uh, my hope is that it's a reminder of who we are, first of all, that we're salt and light. But a beautiful image, too, of the impact, the multiplication, oh, man, I'm struggling for words today. (laughs) The powerful impact that uh, a body our size can have on this city that we love. So before communion, after communion, if you want to come forward, if you're unable to do that and you want someone to put some stickers on there for you, we uh, we can do that as well. Be who you already are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the world so desperately needs the church to be who we are. Let's pray. Lord, I feel, even within my spirit, uh, feelings of guilt for times when I feel like maybe I should have spoken up or I could have been a more bold witness or um, times where I feel like I have, I have not been the salt and the light that you've called us to be. And I, 
One, I want to confess that to you. But two, I want to be reminded primarily of my identity in you. That by your grace, this free gift, my sin has been forgiven. And that there is a new creation, a new work that is growing in me. And as I head off to work and as I frequent coffee shops and restaurants and pick kids up from school, that by being who I am in you, somehow the needs of my neighbors and the needs of the world for the salt and light that point to you, that is getting mixed into the world. That is revealing what is most real. That is growing a thirst in people for you. Increase that, Lord, in my life, in all of our lives. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be who we are. Not by our own strength, but simply by your grace. Thank you, Lord. Amen.